compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Stephen Alby. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning, to be able to preach to you from the word of the Lord. Before we get started, just to kind of get our minds in uh, the proper mindset and just to kind of think about what's going on and uh, hopefully uh, see what the Lord has had um, for me this, this week to bring to you, I have a question. How many of you have taken one of those surveys online that tells you what superhero you are? Come on, don't be embarrassed. Raise your hands. Not many of my students are in here, but I know most of them probably have done it. Okay. Um, I think that those are fascinating things. Especially one, because uh, not only have you, you know, to those of you who have taken them, did you just take it once? Or like me, did you take it multiple times to try to get the superhero you were gunning for? Like, really? I keep getting the same one? Like, that's not me at all. That is totally wrong. I don't... Who wants to be Hawkeye? Seriously, he wasn't even in the last movie. Um, but like, and then you keep taking it over and over and over to try to like get who you want, whether it be like Thor or the Incredible Hulk. I'm going to stick in the Marvel Universe because, you know, the DC. Um, but you figure out all of these different things about yourself and you, you know, learn your personality and then all of a sudden they match you up with some kind of hero. And the reason that these are fascinating to me is because the joy that we feel when we're compared to a certain hero, like when you finally get the one you were going for. You feel this incredible joy. You feel this incredible love for yourself because you're like, yeah, that's right. I am totally like that guy or like that girl or like, I feel like I would totally be the hero in that story. Like, I would be the one who would, who would show up and I would save the day. Now, do you ever watch movies this way and try to find yourself in the story? Do you sit there and you'd be like, okay, would I, would I have those kinds of attitudes or, or activities? Would I, would I act this way? Would I be the hero? Would I save the day? Would I jump in there? Would I be the one who apparently bad guys can never hit and would be the one who can take care of everybody and and in the end win the day? When you watch movies or when you take these surveys, are you ever the villain? Do you ever get the side character? I'll be honest, if uh, I actually were in a situation like many of the action movies that I want, I would not be the hero. I would probably be panicky idiot number three who was like running around in circles wondering what to do and then like sprinting as far away from the danger as possible. If we're honest, most of the time while we would want to be the hero, we have to admit that we're probably not. Do any of you see the Bible this way? Do we read the Bible in such a way that says, when I look at a book, I find where I am in it. Do you ever read the Bible in the sense of trying to see, are you the hero? Do you end up making yourself the main character of the Bible? So the question is, where do you see yourself in the Bible? Where do you see yourself? When we look in a book of scripture, it's very easy to see ourselves as the main character, right? It's very easy to look at All of these great stories, I know when I was growing up, I thought about how wonderful it would be to have the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Samson, and the faith of Daniel. I saw them as just a guide for how I should live, and if I didn't measure up to their standards, I was failing. I saw my face reflected in them. Not only were they the main character of their story, but really, I was the main character of the Bible. The Bible existed simply to tell me how I should act, how I should live, and how I'm not measuring up. We're going to look at one of the most familiar stories in the Bible this morning. 
We're going to look at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. This is a story many of you have heard before. I'm sure many of you have memorized this story. In case you don't know where it is, it's in the book of Daniel. And it's in uh, page 743 of your pew Bibles. We've also put it on your notes and it'll be on the screen. So really, however you want to read it is up to you. But as you get there, a little bit of a background. My hope this morning is that as we read the story, we will see ourselves in it, but not in a way you'd expect. I want, to, I want us to see that the real main character of the story may not be who we expect it to be. And I want to see what that means for us as well. So by means of introduction, there was a newspaper uh, a long time ago that sent out an inquiry of famous authors. It asked the question simply, what is wrong with the world today? And real quick, I want to give you guys just a couple of seconds. Turn to the person next to you and answer that question. What is wrong with the world today? And try to keep it short. You guys actually talk. That makes me so happy. Um, What is wrong with the world today? There was a famous author, G.K. Chesterton, who wrote out a response to this question. I think it's one of the most profound responses ever to this question. And since I didn't hear many of yours, perhaps yours were more profound than this, but I love this one. He said simply, Dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. That was his entire response. What is wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton responded, he's a Christian author, by the way, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. This is what I want you to see in the story of Daniel and the Lions Den, my friends. We are not Daniel. If we're honest, we're actually a lot closer to the people, not just around a Daniel, but when I look deep inside my soul and I see the parts of my human nature that I hate and that haven't been gotten rid of yet, I see that I'm actually probably one of the ones who'd want him killed. You see, we are not Daniel in the story. We're probably the enemy if we're close to anybody there. We'd have our own sinfulness exposed by Daniel and in comparison, it would stir up anger within us. We would try to discredit him. We would try to find ways to trap him and this is just the way the world works and while maybe we as saved, regenerate Christians may not act on those impulses, if we're honest, those feelings are still inside and if they're maybe not inside you right now, you still see it everywhere. So please join me in the reading of God's word. We're gonna start in chapter six, verses one through 13 says this, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents who should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished among all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then the presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents in the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, 
establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. We continue on in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or any man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes petition three times a day. One thing I want you to notice about Daniel here is that he has the light of God radiating out of him. You see, nothing would keep him from making petition to his God. Nothing would keep him from praying to his Lord. And it's interesting because Daniel was one of three people in charge of collecting tribute to the king. Now, in order to make a good living, if you were under uh, this person, if you were one of the satraps or presidents in the kingdom, you had to extort extra money out of people in order to make the kind of living that you wanted. Now, granted, you got paid a decent wage, but... Let's face it, nobody's ever happy with the wage that they're paid. So in this time, they figured, hey, if I can get a little extra from this person, a little extra from this person, I'm going to do it. You really owe you know, 10, 20% more than you do, and then I'll just I'll pocket the rest. See, the problem is, is that Daniel never did this. And if anything, as a person of God, and as we see, he's actually 80 years old at this point. And those of you familiar with Daniel, we know that he acts very uprightly and does not cheat, doesn't steal. He's very much in accordance with the law of God. So he continues on and he has done all of these things well. And since the king decided that maybe he should put Daniel over everybody, everybody in the kingdom realized we can no longer cheat. We can no longer steal. This is going to cost us money. It's actually going to cost us a lot of money because this Daniel is not going to let us do the things that we've been doing and our lifestyle is going to be affected. You see, the light of God through Daniel exposes the sinfulness and struggle of those around him. And when they were faced with this, they would try to see if he really was this pure. You see, they hated Daniel because of his purity. They hated Daniel because of how he acted. They hated Daniel because of how he was so righteous to his God, how he didn't engage in the things that they engaged in. This light exposed them, and they couldn't take it. So they did whatever they could to shut that light off, even if it means throwing him into a pit to die. Do you see some parallels here? Do you see some parallels to how we are today? Yes, this book was written thousands of years ago, but there are very many contemporary examples of when this happens. A few years ago, some of you may know of a Christian quarterback for the NFL named Tim Tebow. If you don't know who Tim Tebow is, you've probably been living under a rock, but that's okay. I I say that because I grew up in Denver, so we all knew who Tim Tebow was. My wife even went to seminary with his brother. Like, you knew the Tebows, you knew their family. But within, like, what was interesting to me about him was not necessarily his talent on the field. He was a phenomenal quarterback. He played many, uh, his entire uh, career at Florida, and then uh, went into the NFL, was drafted by the Broncos, um, was a quarterback, won playoff games, and did really, really well. 
But what's interesting is that very few people really complained about his playing ability. Very few people actually, like the reason he was a source of controversy wasn't because, yeah, maybe he could have been a tight end instead of a quarterback, but like the biggest controversy around him was his faith. You see, he was very outspoken about his faith. He was very outspoken about waiting until marriage. One of the greatest outsp- uh, outspoken celebrities about celibacy before marriage. He would put Bible verses on his eye black in order to use his standing to get the word of God out. And I think it's amazing to me because those things there caused people to hate him. And the, the articles that came out about him, some of them were incredibly antagonistic, attacking everything from his character to saying there's no way he can possibly be this pure. To even a magazine, I don't know if you guys knew this, but there was a magazine that offered $100,000 to any woman with proof that they had slept with Tim Tebow. Any proof, like a story, if they had some kind of corroborating evidence that he was even like with them in a closed room and then they could start these rumors about him and discredit his purity. Why? Did they do this? What is it about human nature that makes people, when they see something that's better than they are, or they see something, someone that does something in a way that's different from the way that they've been doing it, and it exposes their sin, it exposes the difficulties that they have accomplished, or the things that they have done to accomplish what they have accomplished, that they hate it and they want to get rid of it? There were many other articles that came out about Tebow and these, this public outcry that he was, oh, he was just, you know, he's not even that good of a, a football player. He's just a Christian. That's the only reason that people want him in this limelight. And Do you see some similarities here to Daniel? Do you see how we have somebody in the public spotlight who is doing things correctly, who is not cheating, who is not stealing, who is not lying? Keep in mind, the NFL has a lot of controversy around it. Like, even back when Tebow was playing, there were guys who were, you know, attacking their wives and girlfriends. There were guys who were cheating, committing extortion. There were guys who weren't living up to their contracts. There were, you know, all of this horrible attitudes, like horrible lifestyles off the field, and yet nobody came out about with articles against them. It was this Tebow that we decided needed to be knocked down a few pegs. It was this Daniel who wasn't doing the things that many people do to gain fame, to gain acclaim, to gain money, that we need to knock down a few pegs. We need to take him down off his pedestal because no one can be that good. The question, a rhetorical question with all of this is why? Why did so many people want Tebow discredited? Why did the satraps and officials want Daniel killed? Jumping forward a few thousand years, why was it that when another man stepped into the scene who was pure, who did things differently, who showed up and taught in a way that was different from everyone else and found no fault in him that people decided he needed to be knocked down a few pegs too? Why did the Pharisees and the officials want Jesus killed? Why is it when we see someone who is so much greater than us that we want it, when it exposes our sin especially, that we want to see it shut up, silenced, maybe even killed? Maybe another analogy can help. As I've been thinking through this, this is a tough question, and I've wanted to know why is this human nature? But then I was thinking about something when it comes to like light and darkness and how light exposes darkness. You see, a few nights ago, I was enjoying a wonderful night's sleep, which uh, those of you who got to uh, see Skylar here in the front row, she's, in seventh, uh, she's seven months old, and uh, she is quite loud and has been kind enough to let us sleep, but usually when she's up, we need to be up. Um, because at seven months, her lungs are really strong, and she's very loud. 
But there was one day where she actually was letting us sleep in a little bit longer, and it was great, you know? I got to sleep until like six. It was wonderful. And, and I was lying there, and then all of a sudden, something hit my mind. Something came into my mind, and this anxiety and this panic happened. And, and I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I have my eyes shut, and I, I'm looking, and I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I made a terrible mistake last night. I made a horrible mistake. And before those of you who are, you know, I, before I keep you in suspense and you're wondering what on earth did he do to his daughter, nothing happened with Skylar. The mistake that I made was that we have blackout drapes. And I accidentally left a little bit of the blackout drapes opened, leaving this pinprick of light, the most piercing laser pointer accurate light right about here on my eye. And you wake up and you think, okay, something's wrong, something's not right, there's something hitting my eye, so what do we do? We don't think, oh, it's probably light. I'm going to put my hand here and I'm going to wake up. No, we open our eyes, right? That's what I did. I opened my eye and all of a sudden that light was able to enter right into my pupil, go all the way through the back of my brain and do LASIK right in the middle of my eye. And those of you who, even if you're the most like, extreme morning person, and I, I am, I love mornings, I think they're wonderful, uh, grown if you wish, but nobody enjoys that. Nobody likes when you're in complete and total darkness in the middle of a dream and all of a sudden a light shines into your eye, wakes you up, and then exposes you to everything that's in the room now. It's very similar with uh, something that exposes other areas of our life that we wish were hidden. When light penetrates the darkness, when somebody comes into your room and you're trying to sleep and they click the lights on, I'm guessing you don't feel very happy. I'm guessing you want to do anything you can to shut that light off, right? And if we're honest, something comes into your soul and into your heart that says, I kind of want the person who did that to be punished for it. It's human nature, right? So glad you were laughing at this. I used to, I, I'm glad that I'm not like crazy to think this way, but it's true. I think it's interesting because notice the analogies oftentimes that, that happen with Christians and with those who live in a way that is different from the world. Jesus calls us lights in the darkness. And when you are a light in a dark place, there are going to be times where people around you do not want that light. They do not want their sins exposed. They do not want what has happened uh, in their life to bring them to where they are to come to light. They don't want people to see it. They want it hidden. And if we're honest, we're that way too. There are sins inside each and every one of us that we do not want exposed. Perhaps that's why marriage is one of the single most sanctifying events in your life is because now you have somebody with you all the time who is going to say, yeah, that, that's not right. And to whom you can say as well, that, that's sinful. Let us grow together, and, and fortunately in a marriage relationship, you like each other and, and want to be with each other, so it's a little easier to, to expose different things in one another's life and, and help with sin, but the problem can be still that that anger comes out when something that has been so nicely hidden and so locked away gets brought to light again. It can be painful to those living in darkness. We see that in this story. We see it, honestly, throughout the entire Bible. So what happens next in this story? Let's start in Daniel 6, verse 14, and continue on and see what happens. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And when he had labored until the sun went down to rescue him, then these men came by agreement to the king and said, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that, or according, this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. 
than the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continuously, deliver you. And a stone was brought, and it was laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. And the king commanded and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They and their children and their wives. And before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What we see in this story of Daniel is the same thing we see in the story of Jesus. There's so many parallels between the story of Daniel and the story of Jesus that I want to discuss here. First of all, we see when something exposes our sin, we hate it, we lash out against it, when what we should do is embrace it, lean into it, and maybe let it change us. Now, do you see that this story is not so much even about Daniel, but it's about something greater. It's not even just about human nature, but it's even pointing us something further along. Now, before we kind of dive into that, let's talk about what some of these similarities are that you may not be aware of. Notice how Daniel was exiled into a foreign land that was not his own. Jesus chose willingly to leave the confines of heaven to come into this earth. We see that Daniel was hated because of his steadfast love for God. Jesus was hated because of his connection to the Father. You see, they were both found fault in connection with who they served. Both of them showed the people around them a better way to live, and instead of embracing it, they rejected it. They both shined light on the lives of those around them. They exposed the sin around them, not necessarily through blatant words, though Jesus did that often. But notice how even their righteous lives made everything around them seem that much worse. And people hated it. Daniel's righteous life made the corruption around him seem worse. Jesus came to expose the sinfulness of all humanity. Both were completely blameless before the law, but notice how many times people try to trick them. Notice how many times people go around the law in order to have them killed. Remember, the Pharisees could not find any reason to have him killed. The Pharisees had no reason to have Jesus killed, but they went around it, they circumvented it, they said, actually, he, he makes himself God, so 
Caesar, you know, is being, bl- is being uh, usurped of his role of authority, maybe you should have him killed. And interestingly, all of the authorities said, I find no fault in this man. And they continued to go through different methods and different tricks in order to just get him gone. Notice also how God spared Daniel from the mouths of the lions and God raised Jesus from the mouth of the grave itself. Now where the parallels end though is where I think Jesus becomes so much greater, so much more the hero of the story. Is that if the parallels were the same, we would see a righteous person in Daniel willfully entering into the pit to take the punishment for those who hated him and had him killed. We don't see that. What we see is we, on the outside, celebrating that the wicked get punished. But when you recognize that in this story, we're not Daniel. We're the ones who need a savior. We're the ones who most likely would be cast into the den of lions because of our sin and against a holy God. That's why Jesus is so much greater, why he is so much greater of a hero because it was as if Jesus came down was killed by the very people he came to save and then took their punishment and then gave them his perfection as a gift. You see, the parallels end because even Daniel is pointing us to something greater. Even Daniel doesn't act what we need him to act. He might act completely virtuously according to the law, but he did not act perfectly merciful. The king didn't act merciful. What Jesus does for us, what makes him the ultimate hero of the Bible is that he climbed down into that pit for us, was killed as our substitute, and then hands us his life as a gift. He died a sinner's death, though he was the innocent victim of our sin. He also conquered death after being raised from the dead, which is another gift that he promises to us. Are you kidding me? This Jesus, the innocent victim of our sin, gives us all of it freely if we just believe and trust in him. Daniel isn't even the hero of his own book, but points us to the true hero, the true main character of the Bible, Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this information? How does it change how we live? And I want to give you guys some ways to apply this in your walk with Christ this week. I want this understanding of the story, not seeing ourselves as the main character, not even seeing the main character as the main character, but recognizing that all of it points us to Jesus, and oftentimes we are not in the story in ways we would expect, causes us to do four things different. First of all, it causes us to read the Bible differently. For those of us in here who have read the Bible as a list of stories telling us how to live and act, you are missing out on an incredible amount of depth and richness in God's word. If you apply this angle to every story you read, what would happen? What if we aren't supposed to be Daniel? What if we aren't supposed to be David? What if we aren't supposed to be Moses? What if we were supposed to see how we need somebody like them, but greater than them, to do it for us, to save us? What if we aren't supposed to save ourselves, but all of these stories are pointing us to our need for someone to save us? As much as we would like to believe, as much as I would stand here and say that uh, if, you know, the current administration said something about not being able to pray to a God, I would still go and pray to my God every day, Would I? If I'm honest, I probably would pray in secret. If I'm really honest, I probably would just kind of hope things changed. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get killed. It's prayer. God sees what we do in secret, right? So I'm just just going to pray in my mind. 
No, I would want somebody who stood up like Daniel. And I would recognize that they are doing something that I probably wouldn't do. When we put ourselves in the shoes of the other characters in the stories of the Bible, we see so much about human nature as well. We see how even the most virtuous of us need God's help. Notice this, it wasn't Daniel who defeated the lions. In our modern age, a hero story is the hero does everything on their own, right? It would have been Daniel would jump down there and he would beat up the lions and then he would be fine, right? The 80-year-old dude beating up lions. Let that sit in your mind for a second. It's very funny. Um, But the problem is, is that it wasn't Daniel who killed the lions. It wasn't Daniel who defeated them. It was God who shut their mouths. Even Daniel needed the help of God. We cannot save ourselves. Daniel couldn't save himself. We can only trust that God himself in Jesus does the work for us. So number two, a second way that this understanding and this way of reading the Bible helps us do things differently is it helps us to engage others differently. We as humans are very good at judging what we don't understand, right? I found that in reading the Bible from the point of view of the auxiliary characters and even the point of view of enemies in the Bible, I gain insight into how a lot of my friends think. I gain insight into how that atheist on TV thinks, how that angry neighbor sees God. It allows me to step into their shoes and see what the story of the Bible applies to them too, not just me. It reminds me that their end right now is death and separation from God's loving presence. Their end is the pit. And it reminds me that right now I need to, like what I need to do to stand in their way. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said something like this. I might be butchering this quote, but he said, if a person is going to sprint to hell, May it be through the, many, the arms of many Christians standing in their way telling them to turn back. If a person is going to run headlong toward hell, toward sin, may it be that they have to knock down every single person in this room standing in their way saying, you need to turn around and run to Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a long time, it can be easy to see ourselves as the righteous ones in Scripture, but remember that you too, I too, was once sprinting toward hell. And we would have made it there if it weren't for someone standing in our way. Another way that this reminds us of, um, another way that this understanding helps us do things differently and how I want you to apply this in your lives is, number three, it helps us fight sin differently. I believe very strongly that as a whole, the focus of the Christian life is actually the life of the Christian. What that means is that the focus of our gatherings and the focus of our life is how can all of this affect me? And yet, interestingly, I mean, we see this everywhere. It's why so many of us read read the Bible with ourselves as the main character. It's why so many of us maybe feel like we're on the cycle of performancism, that God will bless us if we're perfect. But that's not the story of the Bible. What the Bible tells us is, yes, plenty of wisdom and, and how to live, but it's so much more than that. When we take ourselves out of the main character role, we're reminded that God is the hero of his story. We start to see that only through him can we have any victory over sin. Honestly, this is the only way I've seen any victory over sin in my life. It's not by focusing on my sin, it's by focusing on the Savior. It's by Jesus being so much greater than anything else. It's by God being so much more my desire, so much more my heart than the things that have kept me in slavery. May Jesus be sweeter than any sin in your life. May we recognize him as the sole thing we were created for, the only place we can find everything that we go everywhere else to get. May Jesus be where you find your approval, your love, your power, your success, your fame. May he be greater than everything else. If you read the Bible simply a collection of laws and ways to live, it'll break your heart. Because no matter how long you've been a Christian, you will never live up 
to the laws of scripture. Only the gospel can heal your broken heart, my friends. Only the gospel can bring you joy and bring you life, not, your, not doing better. Only the Holy Spirit can produce fruit in you, not your own effort. You work together with him. Stop trying to do it on your own. Now finally, the final way that this changes our outlook is that it causes us to live differently. We as Christians do have hope in a very dark world. We are lights in this world if you have Jesus in your heart. While my hope is that you focus on the Savior, don't don't neglect the encouragement that comes from reading these accounts in the Bible. Don't neglect the reading of Scripture and the discussing with other people and the sharing of our stories of how God works. It is amazing to see how God works through very broken people in his word. The only hero of Scripture is Jesus. Everyone else is merely a foreshadowing merely a taste of what is to come. Now, while we enjoy incredible religious freedom here in the U.S., it's interesting to read a story like Daniel 6 and recognize that there may come a day when worshiping our God will be illegal. It happens all over the world. It's happening right now. We have friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who are currently in prison because they have espoused the faith of the Lord, because they worship openly. While we don't have that now, maybe we can be preparing for what that might look like. Be strong in the faith. See this as a time to shore up your defenses, to get strong so that if persecution happens, or more likely when, you'll be ready to stand firm in the Lord. Some of you may actually feel this way now. Maybe you won't be thrown into a den of lions, but maybe you'll lose a money or you'll lose a promotion unless you cheat a little or unless you lie a little, or unless you maybe spread a rumor that the person who's gunning for that same position as you is not as good as they seem. Maybe it feels like to maintain the status that you desire or to even continue to feed your family, you've had to do things that you're not proud of. And my friends, when you're faced with that temptation, my hope is that Jesus will be greater to you, but I also want you to know that Jesus still loves you and he still forgives you. If you run to him, you repent and you turn wrong. It is never too late to rectify what was done. It is never too late to run to Jesus and begin a life of righteousness and purity again. My hope is that when the day comes when we face persecution, you will be like Daniel or you will be like Paul in Romans 8, 31 through 39 when he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, listen to these words and may they be sweet to you, that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As easy as it is to read the Bible as the story of humanity, it's not. We are not the hero of the story, my friends. We are not even the subject of the divine sentence. We are the object at best. God is the hero. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together to deal once and for all with a lost and desperate enemy, us. Instead of wiping us out in battle, which he could have easily done, God chose to send the hero into our story. He chose to write himself in to the story. All of the Bible, all of our lives too, is a story that is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the main character. The only innocent victim of our sin, who we hate in our sin, we fight against and we turn away from, but yet a hero so full of love and care for his people that he jumped into the pit willingly for us on the cross. He suffered the death we deserve and he gives people his righteous life. Jesus wants you to experience a story of redemption and reckless love, my friends. Don't wait. Don't wait. My hope is that you will see Jesus, maybe for the first time, as the main character of your story. And my hope would be that you would bend your knee to him, that you would pray to accept him into your life. It's really simple. Jesus merely says, if you believe these things, then you will be one of my people. Paul says in Romans that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So maybe stop focusing so much on your life, your dreams, and what the Bible can do for you and start focusing on Jesus, his life, his desires, and what he did in the Bible that you can't do. Would you please pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, these truths are almost too sweet for us. They're almost too good for our ears. It seems too good to be true, but praise you, God, that you are the God of truth and that what you wrote is believable and it is true. God, may we stop seeing ourselves as the main character of even our own lives. May we see you, Jesus, as the hero of our story, as the main character of our lives, and may everything we do be in reflection of you. Lord, I pray for my friends in here who may not know you. I pray, God, that they would see you, maybe for the first time today. That they would accept you as their Savior. That they would acknowledge you as their Lord and they would know that not only did God raise you from the dead, but as your people, we too will be raised to eternal life. I pray, God, for those in here who have known you for their entire lives, who maybe need to hear this again who need to remember what you have done for them, who need to remember that you stand ready to help an ever-present help in trouble and that we would fight sin, engage others, and live differently because of your power. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you so much for the words of Scripture. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.